Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is from the Gospel from Mark, the first chapter. And they were all amazed after Jesus had cast out the demons, so everyone questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He even commands the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Dear friends of Christ, Epiphany, the season we're in, is an extension of Christmas. Um, But Epiphany is more than just rejoicing in Christ's birth. Epiphany is uh, understanding who Christ is. It's a revelation. It's a revealing of who He is. And so during Epiphany, we see what Jesus does. He's baptized and God descends upon Him. And we see Him uh, doing miracles. And, And today we see Him casting out demons. Epiphany reveals... The Jesus is more than we think he is. You know, people often like to hear that they're more than they think they are. And I was browsing on Yahoo, and you know, all the articles on the main page, and they're, they're written, uh, some of those articles, so you'll click on them. And someone told me that millennialists like some of those articles. Uh, millennial, millennials want to hear that they're better than they think. And the internet marketers know that. And so they provide articles that say, click on this to see if you're a genius. Or click on this to see if you're a leader. And so out of curiosity, you want to know, am I better than I really think I am? You click on it hoping that you're a genius. And it takes you to a website that makes you ask a few basic questions. And then at the end of the questions, it gives you a report And sure enough, you're better than you thought. You are a genius. And sure enough, you're better than you thought. You are a natural-born leader or whatever. Or whatever it's trying to do to make you feel better about yourself. To prove that you're better than you really think. Well, that's the way it is with Jesus. However, Jesus is better than we think. Jesus is more than we can imagine. He's more majestic. He's more godly, more holy, more divine, more powerful, more everything. You can't fathom, you can't imagine His divine power and glory. And Epiphany reveals that, at least some of that. And so today our theme, it's better than you think. It's better than you think. However, before we can believe that things are better than we think, we have to realize how bad things are. We must, because if things don't get worse, how can we appreciate it when we realize that things are better? And of course, that's what the Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 27, 7. When you have had plenty to eat, you despise honey. But when you're hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. So God's advice is that we need to be made hungry. Our prayer for this appointed Sunday, I pointed it out to you. Uh, It's called the Collect. Every Sunday has a special prayer that matches all the readings, the theme for the day. And our prayer today says, we are set among so many great dangers. And as you think about all the great dangers that you face, you think, okay, well, what are some of these great dangers? And you, you think criminals and, and uh, uh, you know, 
being raped or crime or disease or maybe a car accident or something like that, a great danger. However, you know the big dangers, the big dangers we face are really the unseen dangers, the invisible dangers, the dangers of the spirit world. Our battle, St. Paul says in Ephesians, is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the rulers and authorities and lords of this dark world, against the evil spirits that are above. So are you threatened? Terrified of these evil spirits? Demons? Well, before we can appreciate that things are better than we think, we have to find out that things really are bad. But demonic forces are not our only problem. Our biggest problem is our fallen nature. That's what we say in our prayer. We also have the weakness of our fallen nature. Martin Luther um, calls us lost and condemned creatures in, his, in the second article of the Apostles' Creed in the explanation. We're lost and condemned creatures. And then the Catechism goes on to describe this fallen condition that we, that we bear, that we carry about each day that is a danger to us. The total corruption of our whole human nature is how the Catechism describes it. Total corruption of our whole human nature. We are totally corrupt. 1 Corinthians, then, is a, is a chapter, that is a verse that it cites. 1 Corinthians chapter 2.14, The man without the Holy Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Can't do it. The flesh can't do it. It also cites Ephesians 2.1, which says we are dead in trespasses and sins. We're dead. Romans 8.7, it cites, which says the sinful mind is hostile to God. Not only does it not submit to God's law, it cannot do so. The sinful flesh, the sinful mind, is totally corrupt. So then we go about this fallen world with all these unseen demons, with all these unseen dangers, and as we do, we carry about this fallen nature that is blind to this evil world, that's blind to all these dangers, that is spiritually dead to all spiritual things, and that is an enemy of God. Okay, if this is the case, then... How can the collect, our prayer for this morning, for this Sunday, go on and say, we cannot always stand upright. We cannot always stand upright because of our sinful nature, because of all these great and present dangers. We cannot always stand upright. You know what that implies? That we cannot always stand upright? It implies that sometimes we can. Hmm. It implies that sometimes you can take on the demonic world. It implies that sometimes you can overcome your sinful nature. It implies that sometimes we we don't need Jesus to guide us. It implies that sometimes we don't need Jesus to protect us. But is that how things really are? Do you think that you can stand up against Satan and his demonic forces? 
Do you think that you can overcome the darkness of your own sin? Do you think that you can defeat all those unseen demons of pride and greed and lust and jealousy and envy and despair? Do you think you can see God on your own? That you can talk to God on your own? That you can hear Him? Do you think your soul is good enough? Generally good? So that your sinful flesh is on God's side? <laughs> no, that, no that's, not what, that's not what Scripture says. That's not how it is. That's not what the Bible says about our sinful nature. You know, we, we, we have the hymn, stand up, for, stand up for Jesus, and it gets it right. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, stand in His strength alone. You can't stand on your own strength. The only way you can stand is by standing in the strength of Jesus alone to stand up against the foe. And then the hymn continues, the arm of flesh will fail you. You cannot trust your own. So we pray in the collect, we cannot always stand up right. But that's not true. In fact, the word should be changed. When, we, when the prayer for this Sunday was first written around 600 A.D., it said we cannot at any time stand upright. This was the way Martin Luther used it when he wrote the liturgy back in 1529. However, in, in 1558, Queen Elizabeth of England, she didn't necessarily like the total depravity of man and, and, and that, that we were by nature sinful and unclean and there's nothing good in us. And so she changed it for the church. She changed our prayer to read, read we cannot always stand upright. Listen, no one likes to hear the truth about sinful people from a Christian, from, from God's perspective, that, that there's nothing good in us. No one likes to hear that we are by nature sinful, by nature unclean, by nature eternally damned, and that there's nothing good in us. No, not one thing. So it's much more agreeable to soften our sinful nature by calling us instead people who make mistakes. Sometimes we can stand upright. But sometimes we make mistakes. There's so much more appealing to us to hear that, that we aren't evil by nature. No, we just make a few mistakes. However, if that's what you believe, that you just make a few mistakes, then you've missed the good news of Christmas. If that's what you believe, that we just make a few mistakes, then you've missed the, the good news, the, the, the gospel of Christ coming to earth. If you think there's anything positive about our fallen nature, you can't understand our redemption. If you don't understand how bad it is, then how can you appreciate that it's better than you think? If we see how helpless we really are against the devil, if we see how helpless we really are against the demons, if we see how helpless we really are against our own spiritual nature, our own sinful nature, if we see that we cannot at any time stand up on our own, then all of a sudden the Jesus of Epiphany means something to us. 
because he's the one that makes us stand. And that matters. We are in need of salvation. And Jesus is indeed more than anyone could have possibly ever have imagined. Jesus is more than we ever could have thought. In our text this morning, Jesus reveal who he, reveals who he is. And he isn't like all those pictures. Sometimes you see him where he's weak and he's dying and he's hanging on a cross. And, and, he, and, and of course, uh, he looks so timid. Jesus is at Capernaum north side of the Sea of Galilee is teaching. A demon shows up in a person, in a man. Mark calls a demon an unclean spirit, but it's a demon. Demon possession is always a terrifying topic. Whenever I talk about it in confirmation, there's always some kids that get a little frightened. People get frightened when you talk about things like that, things we can't see, things we don't understand. And the demon in our text makes an ungodly, horrifying terrible shrieking sound and then he accuses jesus of coming down to destroy him jesus if you come down to destroy us now remember the people in the synagogue had always walked around with this man they did not know that he was demon possessed and and they did not know that it was the demon who was speaking through this man's voice they just thought it was joe and joe was just speaking and joe was saying Jesus, if you come to destroy us, Jesus, you're the bad guy, and you want to hurt all of us. But Jesus knew. He, Jesus knew who was talking. And Jesus commanded the demonic spirit, the spirits that were in the man. He said, be quiet and come out of him. And immediately they fled with a shriek. And the man convulsed. He could not stand up on his own. And then he was set free. He was rescued. Have you been rescued like that? Have you been rescued from the demons? From all the dangers of the world that we can't see, all the great dangers that surround us? Has Jesus rescued you from demon possession? How did he do that? He rescued you by suffering and dying for you. He rescued you from sin, death, and the devil. Remember what we say in our catechism about our baptism? In the explanation, in the question part, what is baptism? It says, baptism rescues us from the devil. And so right there, right there at the baptismal font right there in the waters of your holy baptism you were delivered from the kingdom of satan and delivered to the kingdom of your god so that that world has no power over you satan's grasp has nothing on you he's lost his grasp upon your soul and you're freed you're delivered from his might and you're delivered from his power and you're delivered from the condemnation of his death. Listen to how Luther worded it in his baptismal liturgy in 1523. Depart thou unclean spirit to give room for the Holy Spirit. It'd be nice if we still baptize kids that way. The unclean spirit in you, child, now depart. The Holy Spirit's coming. 
And then the pastor later says, But thou devil, flee, for God's judgment comes speedily. Listen, Jesus is so much more than anything we could think. He's so much more than somebody who just casts demons out of people. So we have to travel with him. And we have to travel with him all the way through Epiphany, all the way through his miracles, all the way through everything that he does, he preaches and teaches. We have to travel with him all the way through Lent, all the way to the cross where he sheds his blood and he suffers and dies and he defeats the devil and he defeats sin and death for us. And it's on the cross that we find out who he really is. And it's the empty tomb that we know what he's done for us. And that same blood continues to come to us in the body and blood of the Lord's Supper. That same blood continues to cleanse us, to set us free from the devil, from from our sin, from all the present dangers that, that are around us. And all that's fine and good. It that things are better than what we think. But what good is it to have a Savior who defeats the devil, who defeats these demons, these great dangers, who redeems our fallen nature, if we can't at any time stand upright? What good does it do if we have a Savior if we cannot at any time stand upright? If I can see before me and all I can see before me is one sin after another, what hope do I have? If all I see is my lost condition with no forgiveness, what hope do I have? And I'm sure some of your sins bother you today. You hear the sweet gospel that your sins are forgiven and it's so precious to your ears, but you also know how wretched you are. So much so that you're thinking someday when I stand before God on judgment day, I'm not sure I'll go to heaven because I'm a poor, unclean sinner. And you know that you cannot at any time stand on your own. Well, take comfort. Take comfort. Things are better than you think. Jesus has come to save you. Though we can't at any time stand upright, Jesus makes us stand. Jesus stands in our place. Jesus stands up for us. He is our mighty fortress. He is our deliverer. He makes us stand by forgiving our sins and cleansing us and freeing us from the power of the bondage of our sinful flesh and freeing us from all these great and present dangers. And isn't it better, that Jesus, better than you ever dared to even imagine or think? God says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Who would think that God could, would, or should save someone who can't stand on their own? Who would think that God could, should, or even would save someone from such great dangers that they can't even see? Why would he save people who are spiritually dead? Well, that's the gospel, isn't it?
And that's the good news. And it's better than we think. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.